Welcome to GAG, the Eating with Head and Neck Cancer Treatment Podcast. I'm your host, Devon McLaren, and this show is all about the vernacular of head and neck cancer treatment. What do I mean by that? There's a whole new life and language to learn after head and neck cancer treatment, and on this show, I endeavour to crack open the subtleties of the side effects that treatment affords us as patients. It's the show for patients, carers and medical practitioners to hear from lived experience and my particular passion is food and living your best food life after treatment. If you'd like to be part of this community, I'd encourage you to subscribe to GAG the newsletter. There's a link in the show notes below. In the meantime, grab your favourite beverage or your walking shoes and let's get started. Wow, I'm very excited that you're here today. This is episode 60 of the newly relaunched GAG, Eating with Head and Neck Cancer podcast. This podcast is all about the food journey that head and neck cancer treatment patients um, experience. In my experience, it's a lived experience, and in this podcast, I want to talk about all those little idiosyncrasies that happen around food after head and neck cancer treatment. Uh, You know, I've been really careful not to um, pitch myself as a head and neck cancer expert. I'm not. I'm certainly not. Um, I fainted when I had my ears pierced, so uh, I I used to think I had a very low pain threshold. I don't. I've since found out. So in this episode, episode 60, I want to talk about how we communicate food to head and neck cancer patients uh, based on my experience based on what I've read, what I've heard, what I've talked to other head and neck cancer patients about. Um, You know, it's such a bespoke uh, process for every single one of us, depending on what's happened, how much tongue you've lost, whether you've got teeth, whether you've had the roof of your mouth removed, the base of your mouth removed, your cheek, your chin, your voice box, whatever it is that's happened to you, is going to mean that your food journey is going to be very individual to you. I'm actually still to this day quite amazed that I thought I got away with it pretty easily in the sense that um, I had a third at the base of my tongue removed, both my tonsils, the tumour. I had uh, 30 lymph nodes, a neck dissection, dissection, uh, chemo and radiotherapy. Um, and uh, the radiotherapy people said we will be the most disliked people in the universe after this treatment. <clears throat> they were right. <laughs> um, I heard um, on a podcast this whole process being likened to a 
um, a cookbook recipe. It is about the ingredients and the stages within the actual recipe to make the end dish. And that's why I wanted to talk about communication and communicating to head and neck cancer treatment patients about their food life during and after treatment. Uh, I know that it's a very diseased focused treatment uh, doesn't appear to have changed too much even in the three or four years that I've now been in this space whether I wanted to be or not but what I did when I was going through treatment was I documented recorded researched and produced a program to help me like from a mental point of view but also I had it in my mind to help others Uh, when they were trying to transition off a pig tube back to oral eating. What is that really like? There's no information out there that says takes you from step one to step six. So I endeavoured to create that kind of information to help other people. Here's what I did. Here are the things that I undertook to get me from this point back to this point. Now, I'm one of those people that point blank refused to live with a pig tube. Um, I've discussed in other episodes about why I named my other podcast the No Feeding Tubes Show. Uh, it had nothing to do about being disrespectful to anybody or pig tubes. I don't have anything against pig tubes. It was about the goal that I had to cement in my mind about where I wanted to be with my food journey after having had head neck cancer treatment and it's brutal. It still is brutal. There is n- there is no day in my life where I'm not thinking about food or swallowing or social eating or what's today going to bring? Can I get on a plane? Can I go here? Can I do that? Uh, you know, all of those things come into play every single day. Uh As you can probably tell, I'm pretty passionate about this, but from a communications point of view, here are the things that I have recorded and highlighted that were important to me. One is IDSI, the resource IDSI, and I've done an entire episode on IDSI um, back, episode 57, I think it was. Um, I think that's a really good resource and I think that should be given to patients um, and they can do what they will with it. But creating this roadmap um, around mind, food and body because it takes all those things to get you back to a with your best food eating life, I think. Uh, and in writing, my, and sorry, this sounds like a bit of a sell for my program and uh, and it is, but it's a really good way for me to talk about communicating because that's what this program is. This is the way you can communicate to a patient who's been through head and neck cancer treatment um, processes. And I know we're not all going to be the same and no, we're all going to have different food requirements and yes, we're all going to be able to manage different things. And as I've since discovered, and I'm sure many other people have, What you can do on Monday isn't necessarily what you can do on Friday and what you can do this week isn't necessarily what you can do next week or next month or next year. Uh, So I wrote a roadmap 
And that roadmap very much talked about your pathway, uh, and that was around um, what is dysphagia, what are the likely woeful eight things that you're going to experience, the ITSI framework, understanding nutrition and transitioning away from what I call boxed food. How did I do that? What did I have to have in place to make that happen? Um your mind, your emotions, uh, God, it's depressing. Um, it's emotionally draining. Um, and all those things, I think, uh, play a big part in how you ingest food, how you approach food, how you look at food, how you prepare food. Do you know how to prepare food? Do you have an understanding of nutrition? Um, so I'd be giving people a... Uh, a whirlwind tour of nutrition, making sure that they understand what protein is. Um, and in Australia, we have that Australian food guide, which I think is very good. Um, you know, this process and your roles as speech language pathologists and dietitians, you know, you're preparing people for one of the biggest events in their life. Quite often, if they're anything like me, they're learning to eat again, they're learning to breathe again, they're learning to talk again, they're learning to do all of those things again uh, in social situations, and it's a big deal, you know. And and how you uh, communicate that process to them in those early stages, I think, is... um, extremely important in terms of what their long-term food life is going to look like, how they mentally set themselves up to be prepared for the battle, and it is a battle. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I was raised um, to tackle things um, in a systemised way. Uh, I'm very driven, I'm very tenacious, um, I'm strong and I'm determined um, and I'm um, you know, methodical in the way that I go about tackling problems and life's issues. If you're not like that naturally or by nature, then I think this is one of the biggest battles that you will ever face in your life. If if I was to be asked that question, so how you as multidisciplinary teams communicate that to patients, and I totally understand that everyone's different, and I totally understand that there is a potential for overwhelm, but I think that process of how important food is to not only our lives after treatment, our social. Um, abilities to get back into society, uh, get back to work, get back to life, get back to travel, get back to enjoying some sort of life again, Um, you know, that's a huge part, a huge part of the treatment. And I think that's um, underestimated a little bit. And I think it gets glossed over a little bit in the scientific disease focus as opposed to the patient focus. So That's why I created the Mind Food Body Program to help people go step by step through the processes that I undertook as a result of pretty much having all the treatment um, that we can throw at head and neck cancer these days um, and how I got back to living my food life, best food life as a foodie.
Um, I think we need to talk about transitional foods, what they are, what what does that mean to someone. Um, suddenly I, I stumbled across transitional foods because I loved Chinese prawn, prawn crackers. There's a tradition, transitional food. Papadams, um, little um, snippets that I used to put in my soup which were tiny little bits of sourdough bread that I fried off in garlic and put into my soup that soaked up that liquid that got me having some texture back in my mouth. Um, You know, there's some resources around uh, food and catering and how do you prep food once you get back to your own kitchen? How do you set your kitchen up to make sure that you're going to be producing the right type of food for you to eat, whether you're trying to transition off a peg tube back to oral eating, whether you're lucky enough not to have had a peg tube and are just oral eating, whether you're on a peg tube and that's what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. How do you create, make fresh, wholesome, nutritionally dense food to make that whole process uh, your best food life? Now, I think this starts really early, and I know when we're all under um, the influence of opioids and painkillers and just trying to get through Christmas and how do we open our mouths and how do we look after our teeth and how do we stop bleeding and how do we stop this gunk from coming up. And, you know, let's not forget that we're dealing with all this stuff that's, in my case, I couldn't swallow because I had so much mucus and saliva build up in my mouth it became almost impossible so that beautiful thing of that soft Italian um, and I know Stanley Tucci supports them the the soft Italian San Pellegrino mineral water was a lifesaver for me that soft bead bubble that was the thing that got me through that awful time during radiation just after radiation um when you know the bottom falls out of our lives if you can get through that without stopping and I was lucky in that I did so I really want to get you to think about how you communicate that food to your patients um and I I don't think it can just be a process of eat soft food eat high protein eat lots of regular meals um, you know, make sure you snack, snacks, whole nut, forget snacks. I couldn't, I still can't snack. I did an entire episode on snacks. Um, you know, those very unhelpful hospital uh, cancer-based booklets for food people, they're all written pretty much for people with breast ache cancer, prostate cancer, liver cancer, well, you know, people who can eat. I know there are some... Uh, booklets out there now specifically for head and neck cancer patients I know that Uh, I've seen them Um, and if you're watching this you can see the look on my face but there I can guarantee you they're not written by someone like me they'll be written by someone who knows or says don't eat chili don't eat sharp objects don't eat this don't eat that don't eat citrus don't eat okay um you know, one of the helpful things was have trail mix in your car. <laughs> I still laugh about that. Uh, I did an entire episode on snacks. You can go back and have a listen to that. But, you know, I think we need to be 
super mindful about how we communicate and the vocabulary that we use, being mindful of not to overwhelm, but give people some really, here are some straightforward, non-overwhelming steps to getting you to having these types of foods that you're suggesting, um, protein. What does that look like? If you can't eat a steak or you can't eat meat or you can't have um, fish or chicken or you're vegan or you've got certain dietary requirements or you've got religious issues that um, mean you can't eat this X, Y, Z, I think we need to arm people around food uh, education that enables them to get home to their own kitchen and make the food that you're actually advising them to eat. Anyway, um, that's probably enough for this episode, but welcome to episode 60 of GAG, the podcast for uh, hidden neck cancer eating. And it's my goal focus here to try to bridge that gap between head and neck cancer patients and the multidisciplinary teams that give very well-intentioned advice, but sometimes I think falls a bit short of the mark. Uh, And I think somebody who's been through head and neck cancer treatment and somebody like me who's got some food experience um, and is willing to put my neck on the line, I think I've done that already, but (laughs) I'm prepared to do it again. If I can be the spokesperson for head and neck cancer patients, then okay, I'm putting my hand up and I'm doing that. Um, If you've enjoyed this show uh episode uh show i'd really like you to go to itunes and apple and rate it and um leave a comment uh that would help enormously i think this is a issue that needs to be raised the the awareness levels of not only head and neck cancer itself but this issue of food and social eating what it means to us as individuals when we lose that ability to eat normal meals um, with our compatriots our family our friends our loved ones um, is very important it's important emotionally and it's important physically okay Take care, everybody. Until next episode, as always, um, look after yourselves, look after someone else, and continue to eat well. See you again soon. Thank you for listening to GAG and the No Feeding Tube Show with Yvonne Grace McLaren. I'd love to invite you to come over to my friendly community on Facebook, ask questions, and share stories about your food life. This podcast is all about the patient food experience following head and neck cancer treatment. A podcast sharing our food life one story at a time.